I'm Dr. Gene Hansen. For more than 25 years, I've been answering your financial questions on Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. This is Money Talks, providing honest, straightforward answers to your financial questions. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired March 11, 2017. The excessive decline in the dollar, for lack of a better word. Late rally on Wall Street. Big to fail. Growing the economy. Growing the economy. Welcome. This is Money Talks. Well, good morning, good morning. This is Money Talks, Atlanta's longest running and most respected money show on radio. I'm Bill Laco, certified financial planner, along with Troy Harmon. Well, you got a lot of designations. I got you? a couple, and I'm working on a third. I got uh, CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst, and then the uh, Certified Valuation Analyst for uh, valuing privately held businesses. Gotcha. And then working on a CPA right now. So, uh, you know, just a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy all that. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we're going to have a special show this uh, this week. We're joined today by uh, Michelle Thetford who is Vice President of Client Strategic Solutions for Schwab Advisor Services. And, um, Michelle, I, are you with us? I am. Good afternoon. Well, thank you for being here. And I'm, I'm sure the listeners are wondering, why would I have you on? But I, <laughs> I, I have to say, uh, before you kind of tell us what you do for Schwab, I, um, I saw you speak at Lake Oconee at a Schwab conference. And to be quite honest, you scared the ever-loving bejesus out of me about uh, how easy it is for uh, – Hackers to hack, and <laughs> it is a scary world. It is a scary that. world, and I guess with all the news, you know, I mean, how do you protect yourself against the NSA and the CIA, right? I mean, <laughs> they're probably listening to my phone right now, right? I'm, a, I'm being a little smarmy, but you right. know, I, 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 obviously, Michelle, you're, you're, you, what you do at Schwab is is uh, um, more to protect against those nasty people from Russia and other places that are hacking you, but. Why don't you give a little background on you, and, and uh, we'll sort of discuss how, how our listeners can protect their money. Sure. Well, thanks for the opportunity to, to talk to you and your listeners today. And, you know, frankly, I'm surprised people invite me anywhere because I, I tend to do that. I tend to scare everybody I talk to when I talk about fraud. So um, I, I'm surprised to ever get an invite to talk about it. Um, you know, my role in advisor services at Schwab. Uh, really encompasses several different areas, but uh, one of the, the key things I spend most of my day on is our fraud prevention program, um, and I work directly with the advisors using our platform uh, and also help educate them and uh, come up with strategies to protect uh, their clients from fraud. And when you're working with an investment advisor, there are some very unique considerations uh, that you need to have in mind because in our, our environment, there's a lot of different frauds out there um, that is targeting people at any different time. It's not one simple thing. It's not just credit cards anymore. It's not identity theft anymore. It, it's a variety of things. And what I encourage people to start doing is thinking broadly when it comes to protecting your money, uh, especially when you're going to move uh, money from account to account and start thinking that potentially any transaction that you work on with your advisor has the potential 
for someone to try to intercept that and commit fraud against you. So right. you have to have your guard up really at all times. That, that's sadly the environment that we're in. But the good news is there's some simple things you can do in partnering with your advisor that we found makes a real difference in, in protecting you. Well, so one of the stories you told that I had not really thought about was about the the client who was trying to buy a house and was going to pay cash for it, and basically the closing attorney had sent the closing information to the client. Client forwarded it on to the advisor. The advisor approved it with the client, and then, of course, the money went out. And maybe you can elaborate on what happened with this story. Um, but that's the one that really made the back of my hair stand up. Sure. And, you know, again, with the, with the clients that we work with, um, we see clients, you know, trying to work with their brokerage accounts as being managed by their investment advisor. And the most common type of fraud that we see today uh, involves uh, what we call email takeover. Um, and that's as simple as a fraudster has been able to gain access to someone's email account um, for to help commit their, their crime. That is the most common element of all the fraud schemes we see. So I think in the past we've all had a sense of security that our email is private, and I would, I would challenge folks to start thinking of email really more as a postcard. Uh, in this electronic age, yeah. Frankly, you never really know um, who sees your email right. and who can get into that. Well, clearly we know the government can, so. The guy, <laughs> clearly we know the government. Yeah, there's a variety of folks who can. You're right. <laughs> um, and if you think about it for a second, uh, what makes email such an attractive target for criminals is what we keep in our email, potentially. So for, for me... You know, even with what I do for a living, I, I spend my day talking about fraud. Um, I have to, I have some realities in my life, just like the rest of us that, that have to deal with. And so I, I was uh, having jaw surgery uh, a year and a half ago, and the hospital asked me to do some forms. And I wanted to be efficient about it, so I filled out those forms, and I, I emailed them right back to the hospital. And if a fraudster were to get into my email, think what a treasure trove of information that form is. You know, you now have my name, my social security number, my address, my employer, my phone numbers, my emails. You have a copy of my signature. You have my credit card numbers. You have all you need to commit any type of crime against me electronically. That's the kind of thing that it, that lives and breathes in our email accounts today. And, again, that's why that's such an attractive target uh, for criminals to focus on and help perpetrate their crimes. So Go ahead. the first thing I would say to folks is really think about what you keep in your email. The second thing I would say is consider who you're emailing with. Um, I happen to be in the process of buying a house right now, and so I'm going through the very story I told you uh, in Georgia last <laughs> summer. Um, we had a client uh, last year who was buying a, a beach house, and it was a retired couple who had uh, literally saved for 20 years, so it's retirement, they could pay cash for a beach house in Southern California. And the advisor they worked with was very involved in that. They had planned for it for a long time. Uh, he had referred them to a real estate agent. And he actually had gone and looked at some properties with them. And so 
when he got the email from his client one day saying, great news, my offer was accepted on this property, uh, he was expecting it. The advisor still picked up the phone and called the client just to make sure uh, it was the client sending him the email to wire the earnest money, uh, which was a sizable chunk of money for this beach house. And the client was very excited saying, yes, um, I did send you that email. Uh, we love this property. Go ahead and send the wire uh, for the earnest money. What they didn't know is that the real estate agent uh, that the client was working with had their email compromised. And when the fraudster broke into the real estate agent's email, um, he went through all of her folders and just sent an email to every client who had submitted an offer on a property in the last week or so, sent the same email saying, great news, your offer has been accepted, here's where you wire the earnest money. So the client in good faith um, confirmed that information with the advisor um, and off the funds went. So. You know, it's not only worrying about is your email potentially compromised, but also worrying about are the people you're doing business with if their accounts are compromised. Right. So what that takes us all to is very counterintuitive in this electronic communications age where uh, one of the, the best things you can do to protect yourself is actually get out of electronic communication and actually pick up the phone and just have a good old-fashioned conversation with who you're doing business with to verbally confirm um, any instructions before you actually send funds there. That's, that's the number one thing you can do to protect yourself. Yeah, I mean, since that meeting, we've actually started calling the bank now. I mean, we used to confirm with a client, hey, you sure these wiring instructions are correct? Yes. Now we don't even, I mean, while we still talk to the client, we actually go the extra step and and call the bank and validate that the, yeah. It's a legitimate account. In this instance, it sounds to me as if uh, it, the client was the one who who really needed to do a little bit of diligence and figure out, you know, who the who the accepting uh, party was of the offer. Is is that? Uh, I mean, I, I assume they could have done that and and uh, probably caught the the flaw there, right? Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. In this environment, what clients really need to they need to expect two things. One is when they're working with an investment advisor, they should expect that that investment advisor is going to verbally confirm any type of disbursement instructions with them. Um, that is uh, a solid practice for investment advisors. We've been recommending for a long time, yep. and, and the vast majority of advisors I know have that process and policy. The other thing clients should expect is, is that they they have to partner with their advisor to do some homework as well. To your very point of someone has to trace a verbal confirmation to the ultimate party that's getting the money. Yep. Someone has to pick up the phone and call the real estate agent or the title company or, or the bank. Right. And someone has to do that verbally. Now, sometimes that's easier said than done. Um, Going back to, to my situation as I'm, you know, purchasing a house right now, I tried to do that very thing. I got the I got an email from my title company saying, um, we're ready for you to wire your earnest money. Um, here's where you wire the money. Here's the instructions. And they sent me an email with uh, an encryption. 
All I had to do to get into the wire instructions was download an app on my phone and click enter. <laughs> that, that was it. That was their encryption. There you go. And in bright red letters on the wire instructions was, please be aware of fraud. Fraud is on the rise. Please confirm instructions. <laughs> so I did that. I picked up the phone and I called the agent at the title company to confirm his instructions. And uh, he would not return my call. He emailed me back saying, yes, I confirmed those were the instructions. So I finally had to get my realtor involved um, to, to talk to this person. He finally did call me back. It took, it took four days. I almost lost my house right. I was sitting on. Right. So, you know, that is the environment that, that you may face, and you can't be detoured by it. it. It's very easy, you know, as busy as we all are, to maybe give up on trying to do that verification, especially if you're working with other businesses that, that maybe aren't as aware of the fraud environment that's right. out there and right. don't realize the risk. Um, so it's not always going to be the easiest path um, to do all this verbal verification. But again, it is, it is just so critical that yeah. you stay the course. You're absolutely right. So, uh, Troy, we were talking about, you know, the, the story about the real estate agent, right. the closing attorney or whatever. But So this couple had basically sent, you know, several hundred thousand dollars for the down payment Ouch. that, uh, you know, that, that the advisor confirmed. So the advisor's not on the hook. Right. Schwab followed the instructions. Schwab's not on the hook. So guess who's out two, three, four hundred thousand dollars. Mm. And there's not a whole lot of insurance for that. I mean, I, well, I got back from that conference and it, 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 they're just really starting to bring out the type of insurance a homeowner can buy. You know, you have we have cyber crime policies for the business, sure. but an individual they really don't have much of that type of coverage. Now, obviously, I'm I'm assuming Michelle at some point, you know, the real estate agent or closing attorney might have some culpability here, but that's going to take a long time to sort out, don't you think? Well, that's true, and and that's that's what clients need to realize that when you're talking about different types of fraud, the liability you have is very different. If you think about credit card fraud, for example, um, setting aside the new chip cards uh, for a moment, but in the past, if you've had your credit card breach, that's that's at most an inconvenience because the credit card companies have been uh, very good and actually have a great service experience if fraud's committed on your credit card. Um, you're notified and they take care of it. The, the charges are reversed, the new card sent out to you, and, and that's the end of it. It's, it's at most a nuisance. I had my, cor my Schwab corporate card breached while I was on a, a road trip uh, last week, and uh, they the issuer called me on, on the road and overnighted me a new card to, to the hotel I was staying at. Brokerage account fraud is very different. With brokerage account fraud happens, someone in the equation is going to be held liable for that loss. And there's really three parties for the most part in that equation. There's the account holder, there's the advisor that they work with, and there's the custodian institution that's actually holding the account. And for account holders, you know, they need to be careful when they're verbally confirming these instructions with their advisor and a custodian because we are relying on that confirmation. So in that case of 
our couple with the beach house, uh, that loss was on them. It was a $500,000 wire that was sent out of their account. Uh, thankfully, uh, we were able to bring law enforcement authorities in who were tracking this potential criminal, um, and they had a good recovery of that. That's, That's not good news. Always. That never happens, That's does amazing. it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, and to your point about insurance, uh, we had a different issue happen with a client uh, out of Florida recently uh, where he was uh, doing an investment, a private investment, and uh, he was actually looking to wire money. We received a request to wire money for him to a bank in Hong Kong. Hong Kong happens to be one of the jurisdictions we just see a lot of mm -hmm. this type of fraud occur, and it's very difficult to recover uh, funds that are sent offshore like that. We actually did call and have a conversation with that client to confirm the instructions, um, and he confirmed everything. Um, he, he was getting instructions as a pass-through from his attorney who was working on the private investment for him. Um, he didn't talk in detail with the attorney where actually where the funds were going to go. He just made the assumption that, yeah, those instructions must be good. I got him an email through my attorney. Um, I'm in a rush. I'll go ahead and confirm it. Um, and so off the wire goes with his instruction and confirmation of $300,000, uh, and that was fraudulent. There was a miscommunication between him and his attorney. Mm. Um, so he is trying to recover those funds through a personal insurance claim now and and he is having a hard time yeah uh and he's in dispute with that claim yeah i mean that's you know it's uh i, I think the important part michelle because i don't i don't necessarily want our listeners or clients to think that that schwab and hensler are not liable to some degree because we are i mean we have insurance for this that's just right. like you guys do i mean look if somebody actually steals the money through no fault of your own then the parties involved take care of it correct that's absolutely right. I mean, at Schwab, we do have what we call our security guarantee, um, which you can find on uh, all of our websites where you can access your account. And what our guarantee has said, we've had it for a few years now, what our guarantee says that if you have a fraud loss um, from your brokerage account at Schwab that's due to unauthorized access, uh, meaning someone's logged in through a Schwab website and been able to take money out of your account, that's on us. Uh, and we cover that at 100%. So we, we do have that guarantee in place. And uh, a lot of the advisors that use our platform that work with their clients, to your point, they have a variety of their own insurances. Uh, and I've seen many advisors um, step up and take responsibility uh, and, and make clients whole from a fraud loss should they feel an error or something, uh, a confirmation wasn't do done well in their office. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say of the successful frauds that we see in the brokerage area, actually very few of those fall onto the ultimate liability of the account holder. Right. Uh, I think the story that, that resonates is the one we just told where the, the account holder didn't do any due diligence on there and the advisor didn't go the one extra step, which we try to do now, and actually reach out to the, to the real estate agent or the title company or whatever and validate the... Uh, Instructions, because I'm guessing even if you were to call the bank, that the 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 that information would not be correct, right? And if I said X Y Z Title Company, they're going to say no, that's not the holder of the account, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And what we typically see in these schemes is uh, what I call a multi-layer scheme going on. 
so there's multiple frauds going on at once. So in our, our example with the beach house, uh, the fraudster was actually engaged in an online romance scheme with an elderly lady, uh, and the funds actually were wired into her account. Uh, he was using her account as a pass-through. And so he was corresponding with her saying, you know, I'd like to come to uh, the States and meet you finally. I'm going to have some, a friend wire some money into your account so I can buy my ticket and come over. When you get that money, just pass it on to me. Here's my foreign bank account. And, and that's what she did. And so when we traced that, uh, you know, she had gotten the funds and she had directed them on. It was very common in you know, how we see this money moving anymore is that there's unknowing uh, mules in the middle of that who are being victimized themselves. Wow. Now, I don't think I remember that part of the story. That's Now you've got another equation to deal with. Yeah, it, it seems like uh, it's uh, when you start thinking about it this in depth that uh, there, there really are multiple ways that uh, a fraudster can get a hold of you. Yeah. So I'm Bill Lako along with Troy Harmon and uh, uh, Michelle Thetford from Charles Schwab and Company. Um, Michelle, I appreciate you staying on. You're giving a lot of good information. I'm, I'm still scared. but <laughs> <laughs> That's her job is to scare us into doing the right doing thing. Doing the right thing. Uh, well, Troy, you had a couple questions. So Yeah, I did. Uh, do you have uh, pointers for, for those individual investors, how they might uh, actually strengthen their their uh, individual connection or, you know, uh, uh, combat uh, fraud in this manner? Yeah, I do. And, again, the good news here is that as, as scary of, of an environment that we're all living in, there, there's actually some very simple, inexpensive, or, or just straight-out free things you can do to protect yourself, which we find to be highly, highly effective. Um, one of the first things I would encourage uh, investors to do is, again, just think about how you're using public media and electronic communication. You know, go ahead and, and tweet out or, or post or like or, or whatever you want to do um, on the social media sites, but be cautious of sharing too much personal information uh, that could be used against you. Don't be sharing things like your address, certainly your date of birth, things things like that. So just be uh, cognizant of, of what you're putting out there on social media or, or putting in electronic communication. Uh, the other thing is, have detailed discussions with the regular service providers you use in your life um, around how you're going to transact business with them. Uh, I think it's perfectly fine uh, and realistic to have electronic communication with those service providers when you're talking about different tasks. Um, you know, For me, I have handymen working in my new condo today. They're texting me every few minutes about where does this light fixture go and where does that go, um, and I'm texting them right back. That, that's a specific task that's not giving any personal information about me electronically. So having that discussion with your service providers is used on a regular basis up front about the, the rules of the road and, and making sure that you're both on the same page about what you're going to talk verbally about and what you're going to talk electronically about. And then also, you know, take advantage of the different uh, free security uh, options that a lot of financial institutions provide. At Schwab, for example, if you have a Schwab account, um, we have three key things that you can use on your account uh, available for free with just the asking. You know, one is we will give you a token 
uh, to help you log into our website if you'd like to look at your Schwab account online. And that creates a dual-factor authentication mm -hmm. process, uh, which is incredibly helpful in preventing others from uh, figuring out your login and accessing your accounts online. We also have uh, a voice ID recognition system available for you to use where it will literally take an electronic imprint of your voice um, and when you call in to access your account again, the computer will verify is that your voice or not. Um, we found that to be incredibly helpful. It just takes a few minutes on the phone to set up. Uh, and then finally, you can also ask to put a verbal password on your account. Um, where if, if anyone is to call in and ask for information about your account, uh, they would be asked for that password and uh, information wouldn't be given until we, get, until we get the right password. So these are common things a lot of financial institutions offer uh, just for the asking. Uh, but the most important thing uh, you can do in this electronic age is be diligent about what credentials you use to log into different websites. And 90% of Americans use the same web login credentials across multiple sites and accounts. And the number one password in this country is still today, password 1234. Oh, come on. <laughs> is that true? Oh, Ouch. That's absolutely true. Oh, <laughs> please be more creative than password 1234. Nice. Uh, and please have unique credentials across um, your, your different sites. The main reason for having different credentials, because again, if you have one site breached with your credentials um, or a site you're doing business with, for example, has a breach, you know, we've seen those in the news a lot this year with Yahoo and LinkedIn and other companies where um, web login credentials for their clients were compromised. Frosters will take those credentials, they're very valuable, and just try them on other websites to see if they work because so many Americans use the same credentials. So if you're using the same credentials and you have any type of fraud uh, committed against you, whether it's credit card or anything else, all of your webs all of your accounts are at risk. Mm. So again, if if you do if you do Two things for me. One is please don't have password one two three four as your password. <laughs> uh, and second is just use unique credentials across the different websites that you access. Do you have a recommendation on the type of password? Like you yes. know, the, the old story is ah, uh, there's I, I have fifty different websites. I can't remember all of them. How do you? What do you suggest? Well, yeah, we between uh, my Schwab work. Uh, passwords and my personal passwords, you know, we're, we're all up there with a couple hundred different right. password right. credentials to, re to remember. Um, and so now I would tell you to consider, you know, to take a smart risk. What I consider a non-smart risk is using the same credentials across sites because it's hard to remember. A smarter risk to take is to use different credentials and write those down on a piece of paper but be careful where that piece of paper goes. Right. Uh, or there's a variety of apps you can get on your phone nowadays, which are password vaults, right. if you will. Like LastPass or 1Password. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And if you're using one of those apps, 
you know, choose one that, that has the, the tens of thousands of reviews that's, that's well-known, well-established, um, because those, those apps understand that they're only going to be in business as, as long as they don't have a breach. So they put a ton of resources into their cybersecurity program for protection. So I think, you know, those are both much smarter risks to take in this environment than, than using the same credentials. Some of those uh, some of those apps will actually choose a password for you, too, which probably would get to the point that you're talking about where you don't have the same password across all of your devices, which also, you know, adds another level of smart to that. Yeah, we've seen apps starting to pop up now that um, – will actually change your passwords on different sites, um, on an algorithm, on a frequency. Um, and, and, you know, I think they're very interesting apps. You know, they're, they're, they're rather new to the market from my experience. So I, I think those apps are interesting to, to explore and try out. I, I personally would just like to see them around a little bit longer uh, before I would go wholeheartedly into saying that's absolutely uh, the way you should go. They're, they're just a little too new for my taste yet. I got you. Well, just just a couple other things. I know you talked about the verbal password, but but I would assume that given the dissertation we discussed about email and whatnot, that you probably don't want to put your verbal password in your email folder, right? Uh, please don't. Yeah, please don't do that. Okay. Um, or put it in your wallet where it can be stolen. <laughs> Yeah. We we actually had this happen to a client. They went on vacation in New York over the holidays and had a yellow Post-it note with all of their credentials written down on this Post-it note, and it was just stuck in their wallet, and they lost their wallet uh, in New York over the holidays just on vacation, just lost it. Uh, and they did not think to tell anybody about that. They mm. didn't think to call their financial advisor that this has happened. And by the time they got back from vacation, all of their accounts had been compromised. So I, I think another good thing for people to keep in mind uh, is having that regular, you know, thoughtful conversation with your advisor about what's going on in your life when it comes to your fraud risk. If you've had some type of fraud or you've, you've lost your passwords, they could be exposed. One, you definitely want to update those credentials. But two, I also encourage uh, account holders to have a discussion with their advisor so the advisor knows that they're uh, in a period of time where they could potentially be more at risk uh, for fraud than other times. Right. Could pay a little more attention. That's right. Yeah. You, you didn't let me do any marketing, Troy. I mean, None the, whatsoever. I didn't yeah. give out our phone number. Heaven forbid, Michelle, we try to get business from this radio show. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> we, ask, we answer a lot of questions on the air. But, we do. Uh, today we, we kind of covering one that we know is probably out there and right. uh, unasked, but uh, uh, definitely a, an interest to all of us. Yes. So if you've got questions during the week, you can email us at drgene at hensler.com. That's H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. And you can always reach us at 770-429-9166. Again, I'm Bill Laco with Troy Harmon, and we've got Michelle Thetford from uh, Charles Schwab and Company. And just want to thank you again for being here. And I, I think uh, maybe you know we got about six or seven minutes left in the show. And I know you wanted to talk about the cycle of fraud, but but maybe before we end with that, we could sort of talk about even when you do phone verification, there can be some pitfalls. Correct? Well, that's exactly right. You know, I've I've talked a lot about today the importance of 
of doing verbal verification with your advisor and your financial institutions um, when it comes to verifying uh, money movement instructions. One of the things I teach uh, advisors, we talk a lot about in the classes we do for advisors, um, is making, make sure that you, you know who you're talking to. Um, don't just rely on voices and, and things like that, people even you've known for a long time. And, and the reason we say uh, make sure you know who you're talking to, make sure you ask them verification questions, uh, is because we have seen a steady rise in call forwarding um, as, as part of the schemes to, to commit fraud. And so, you know, the fraudsters are, 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 are pretty smart people, and they realize that uh, investment advisors and the financial institutions specifically um, are, are now really doing verbal verification with the account holder for most uh, money movement type of activity. Uh, so fraudsters have to address for that because uh, that's, the, that's the quickest way they get caught in these schemes. So we've seen the rash of fraudsters uh, forwarding uh, the phone number uh, to intercept that verification call from your financial institution. Uh, this happens most frequently uh, on cell phones and home landlines. And so it's, it's important to talk to your phone provider exactly how can your phone number be forwarded. Some phone companies, the way that your phone can be forwarded is you log into their website and you enter it on the website. That's a phone company I'd have a little bit more discussion with because, again, if fraudsters are able to get into your email, right. they're, they're likely able then to get into your other online accounts, and it's very easy for them to go online and do that. So if you don't use the call forwarding function, I encourage you to call your, your phone companies, whether it's your cellular or your landline phone companies, and see if you can turn that feature off altogether. Uh, I think that's just a good practice if that's not a feature important to you. Uh, but we do teach advisors that, uh, that, that a lot in the education classes we do about, you know, how to do proper verification, how do their teams do proper verification to make sure they're actually talking to who they think they're talking to. Right. That's pretty scary, actually. Yeah. In the world of <laughs> yeah. cell phones today, I'm kind of surprised that people are still using call forwarding, but I guess it is a, a potential threat. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, and that's why I recommend, you know, consider turning it off if you don't use it because, frankly, most people don't use it. Um, so you're just – if it's a feature you don't use, you're just, you're just putting something out there that a fraudster could potentially use against you. Seems like they've thought of just about everything. Well, they make a lot of money at it. They sure. I mean, well, they're trying. Is, yeah. They're certainly trying. They are. Uh, so talk to me about the cycle of fraud. So the cycle of fraud is, is something we've coined really over the last, I'd say, year and a half. Um, and, and, again, it comes from the aggressive fraud environment that we see day in and day out. It, you know, it used to be that if you were the victim of some type of fraud, it was, it was a terrible thing, but you dealt with that particular instance and you moved on and you put it behind you. What we see now is that if your information is compromised or you, you're the victim of some type of fraud, that you're at high risk to be victimized again for a good 12 to 18 months. Wow. The reason for that is because the criminal fraud enterprise is very well organized. Uh, it, it runs like a business. It has 
uh, an online marketplace. It has Yelp-like boards where they can rate each other on service and quality of data. It runs like a business. So if you have your information breached, um, you are now out on that fraud marketplace. You know, I, for example, am in the cycle of fraud <laughs> because I shopped at Target uh, that holiday season right. with my debit yeah. card. Right. I'm with you. And yeah, and I they got me in the Home Depot to, one too. The Home Depot. Oh yeah, I got the Home Depot one. Um, I, I got the LinkedIn one, and I got the Pandora, and it goes on and on. Right. Um, but it's important to know that and, and share that with your advisor that if you again have that type of breach against you, which doesn't seem like that big a deal at the time, so that you know that you're in that potential higher risk time and you have to exercise extra care on your transaction. It seems like on the retail side, it's uh, it's much more difficult for you to avoid these things if you're going to use your card at all. In fact, that's the way I felt, you know, when I got caught in the Target that you referenced. Um, you know, you just use your card, and, and uh, the company actually got breached, and, and now your information is in the system. That that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, that that's that's absolutely it. You're you're in the cycle of fraud right along with me. Yeah. And you you don't have a welcome lot of to the club. <laughs> this is one of those things so, that. Uh, well, let, let me ask you this. We've got about four minutes left. Let me let me just. If I'm a an investor. Um, and I want to learn more about how to protect myself. Do you do you have any recommendations on classes or are there online training courses someone can take to learn more? Yeah, we certainly have um, some materials on uh, our Schwab.com website talking about our cybersecurity program uh, and good uh, fraud prevention tips. So you can certainly look to our website. Um, we make a, we also make a lot of information available to uh, advisors we work with. Uh, so talking to your advisor is also a good resource. A lot of times, um, if you go to uh, some of the government websites, for example, the FBI website or the FTC website, they also have some good uh, tips out there. Uh, th those would be my first places where I would look for for good quality information. I mean, most of it's just common sense, right? Well, that's right, and I think in, in all of this, that's the good news, is that simple common step things we can do uh, that we can control can make a big difference. Such as when you go to Starbucks, maybe not log into your Schwab account? Well, that's, that's exactly right. You know, using Wi-Fi networks you trust and, you know, never downloading software you don't know for these Wi-Fi networks. There's no reason in this day and age to download software for a Wi-Fi network anymore. So, you know, those good, com again, those common sense things go a long way. Yeah. Well, listen, Michelle, I really appreciate the time and the effort. I know you're busy and they've got you traveling everywhere. And and uh, I can only imagine the stories. I mean, we, we only touched on a few of them. Sure. I can only imagine the ones that you haven't told us. Uh, but But thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Well, hopefully I'll see you next year at Oconee. <laughs> You'll have more interesting stories. Oh, I, I will. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, I don't know, Troy. You know, we, we uh, I know it's a money show. Sure. While we were talking cybersecurity and whatnot, I, I, I 
you know, what, what really has brought this to a head, and we're actually starting some lunch and learn classes here in the next couple of weeks for, for our clients to try to educate them on things that they need to be doing and being careful about. It's, um, you know, I, I run into people who say, listen, I don't even want to do email, you know, the older generation. Sure. You know, but I, listen, I can get your information just by walking to your mailbox. So it's That's not true. just, you know, but, but some of this is just trying to do things smartly and, and uh, somewhat common sense-wise. I mean, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure I have the same password used on more than one website. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, and it makes you think, you know. It's it's only been recently that I actually got away from that little right. card in my wallet and right. uh, started using a, an app that would right. help me. But what do you, you know, use? This, I use LastPass. Yeah, yeah. I use and one password, but they're the same. Yeah, right. they're very similar. Yeah. Uh, you can put all of your passwords in and, and identify it by the account that you're right. using. And but, it travels with you, so it gets to your iPad and it gets to your, right. your computer, so you've got it pretty readily available. Exactly. Well, you know, you say it's a money show, but the two most uh, attacked um, industries are healthcare and financial. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not just the bank. Uh, anything that you have related to finance, they want to see a piece of it. Yeah, it, they do. It, that's where the money is. Yeah. That's where they go. All uh, right. Well, look, we, uh, we've had a fun show. So if you got a question, you can reach us 770-429-9166 or email us at drgene at hensler.com. Uh, as always, it's a slice of heaven. I'm saying the market's going to be up next week, as I always do. Flat. There's Bill. <laughs> Gotta love Bill. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.